Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. We are now deeply into a rendition of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and we're halfway through the restaurant The End of the Universe, which has yet to play any part in this at all. We are at a point where Zaphod Beeblebrox has just been whisked off to parts unknown, and he's about to find out where and what they are. But he's left poor old Marvin in the lurch. Marvin stood at the end of the bridge corridor. He was not, in fact, a particularly small robot. His silver body gleamed in the dusty sunbeams and shook with the continual barrage which the building was still undergoing. He did, however, look pitifully small as the gigantic black tank rolled to a halt in front of him. The tank examined him with a probe. The probe withdrew. Marvin stood there. Out of my way, little robot, growled the tank. I'm afraid, said Marvin, that I have been left here to stop you. The probe extended again for a quick recheck. It withdrew again. You stop me, roared the tank. Go on. No, really I have, said Marvin simply. What are you armed with? roared the tank in disbelief. Guess, said Marvin. The tank's engines rumbled. Its gears ground. Molecule-sized electronic relays deep in its micro-brain flipped backwards and forwards in consternation. Guess, said the tank. Seyford and the as-yet-unnamed man lurched up one corridor, down a second and along a third. The building continued to rock and judder, and this puzzled Zaphod. If they wanted to blow the building up, why was it taking so long? With difficulty, they reached one of the number of totally anonymous unmarked doors and heaved at it. With a sudden jolt, it opened, and they fell inside. All this way, thought Zaphod, all this trouble, all this not lying on the beach having a wonderful time, and for what? A single chair, a single desk, and a single dirty dish, dirty ashtray, and an undecorated office. The desk, apart from a bit of dancing dust and a single revolutionary form of paper clip, was empty. Where, said Zaphod, is Zollywoop? Feeling that his already tenuous grasp of the point of this whole exercise was beginning to slip, he's on an intergalactic cruise, said the man. Zaphod tried to size the man up. Ernest type, he thought, not a barrel of laughs. He probably apportioned a fair whack of his time to running up and down, heaving corridors, breaking down doors and making cryptic remarks in empty offices. Let me introduce myself, the man said. My name is Rooster, and this is my towel. Hello, Rooster, said Zaphod. Hello, towel, he added, as Rooster held out to him a rather nasty old flowery towel. Not knowing what to do with it, he shook it by the corner. Outside the window, one of the huge slug-like gunmetal green spaceships growled past. Yes, go on said Marvin to a huge battle machine. You'll never guess. Mm, said the machine, vibrating with unaccustomed thought. Laser beams. Marvin shook his head solemnly. No, muttered the machine. Too obvious. Antimatter ray, it hazarded. Far too obvious, admonished Marvin. Yes, grumbled the machine, somewhat abashed. Um, how about an electron ram? This was new to Marvin. 
What's that? he said. One of these, said the machine with enthusiasm. From its turret emerged a sharp prong which spat a single lethal blaze of light. Behind Marvin, a wall roared and collapsed as a heap of dust. The dust billowed briefly, then settled. No, said Marvin, not one of those. Good, though, wasn't it? Very good, agreed Marvin. I know, said the Frogstar battle machine with another moment's consideration. You must be one of those new xanthic restructure and destabilizer xenon emitters. Nice, are they? said Marvin. You must have one. That's what you've got, said the machine in considerable awe. No, said Marvin. Oh, said the machine, disappointed. Then it must be... You're thinking along the wrong line, said Marvin. You're failing to take into account something fairly basic in the relationship between men and robots. Ah, uh, I know, said the battle machine. Is it... He trailed off into thought again. Just think, urged Marvin. They left me, an ordinary menial robot, to stop you a gigantic, heavy-duty battle machine, whilst they ran off to save themselves. What do you think they would leave me with? Oh, ah, muttered the machine in alarm. Something pretty damn devastating, I should expect. Expect, said Marvin. Oh, yes, expect. I tell you what they gave me to protect myself with, shall I? Yes, all right, said the machine, bracing itself. Nothing, said Marvin. There was a dangerous pause. Nothing, roared the battle machine. Nothing at all, intoned Marvin dismally. Not an electronic sausage. The machine heaved about with fury. Well, doesn't that just take the biscuit, it roared. Nothing, eh? Just don't think, do they? And me, said Marvin in a soft, low voice, with this terrible pain in all the diodes down my left side. Makes you spit, doesn't it? Yes, agreed Marvin with feeling. Hell, that makes me angry, bellowed the machine. Think I'll smash that wall down. The electronic ram stabbed out another searing blaze of light and took out the wall next to the machine. How do you think I feel? said Marvin bitterly. Just ran off and left you, did they? the machine thundered. Yes, said Marvin. I think I'll shoot down their bloody ceiling as well, raged the tank. It took out the ceiling of the bridge. That's very impressive, murmured Marvin. You ain't seen nothing yet, promised the machine. I can take out the floor too, no trouble. It took out the floor too. Hell's bell, the machine roared as it plummeted fifteen stories and smashed itself to bits on the ground below. What a depressingly stupid machine, said Marvin, and trudged away. So, do we just sit here or what, said Zaphod, angrily? What do these guys out there want? You, Beeplebrock, said Rooster, they're going to take you to the Frogstar, the most totally evil world in the galaxy. Oh, yeah, said Zaphod. They'll have to come and get me first. They have come and got you, said Rooster. Look out of the window. Zaphod looked and gasped. The ground's going away. Where are they taking the ground? They're taking the building, said Rooster. We're airborne. Clouds streaked past the office window. Out in the open air again, Zaphod could see the ring of dark green frogstar fighters round the uprooted tower of the building.
A network of force beams radiated in from them and held the tower in a firm grip. Zaphod shook his head in perplexity. What have I done to deserve this? he said. I walk into a building, they take it away. It's not what you've done they're worried about, said Rooster. It's what you're going to do. Well, don't I get a say in that? You did, years ago. You better hold on, we're in for a fast and bumpy journey. If I ever meet myself, said Zaphod, I'll hit myself so hard I won't know what hit me. Marvin trudged in through the door, looked at Zaphod accusingly, slumped in a corner and switched himself off. On the bridge of the Heart of Gold, all was silent. Arthur stared at the rack in front of him and thought, and thought. He caught Trillian's eyes as she looked at him inquiringly. He looked back at the rack. Finally, he saw it. He picked up five small plastic squares and laid them on the board that lay just in front of the rack. The five squares had on them the five letters E, X, Q, U and I. He laid them out next to the letters S, I and T. Exquisite, he said, on a triple word score. Score's rather a lot, I'm afraid. The ship bumped and scratched some of the letters for the nth time. Trillian sighed and started to sort them out again. Up and down the silent corridors echoed Ford Prefect's feet as he stalked the ship, thumping dead instruments. Why did the ship keep shaking, he thought. Why did it rock and sway? Why could he not find out where they were? And where, basically, were they? The left-hand tower of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy offices streaked through interstellar space at a speed never equaled, either before or since, by any other office block in the universe. In the room halfway up it, Zaphod Beeblebrock strode angrily. Rooster sat on the edge of the desk doing some routine towel maintenance. Hey, where did you say this building was flying to? demanded Zaphod. The Frog Star, said Rooster. The most totally evil place in the universe. Do they have food there? said Zaphod. Food? You're going to the Frog Star and you're worried about whether they got food? Without food I may not make it to the Frog Star. Out of the window they could see nothing but the flickering light of the force beams and vague green streaks which were presumably the distorted shapes of the Frogstar fighters. At this speed, space itself was invisible and indeed unreal. Here, suck this, said Rooster, offering Zaphod his towel. Zaphod stared at him as if he expected a cuckoo to leap out of his forehead on a small spring. It's soaked in nutrients, explained Rooster. What are you, a messy eater or something, said Zaphod. The yellow stripes are high in protein, the green ones are vitamin B and C complexes. The little pink flowers contain wheat germ extracts. Zaphod looked and took it in amazement. What are the brown stains? he asked. Barbecue salsa rooster, for when I get sick of wheat germ. Zaphod sniffed it doubtfully. Even more doubtfully, he sucked a corner. He spat it out again. Ah! he stated. Yes, said Rooster. When I've had to suck that end, I usually need to suck the other end too. Why? asked Zaphod suspiciously. What's in that? Antidepressants, said Rooster. I've gone right off this towel, you know, said Zaphod, handing it back. Rooster took it back from him, swung himself off the desk, walked around it, sat on the chair and put his feet up. Beeblebrocks, he said, sticking his hands behind his head. Have you any idea what's going to happen to you on the Frogstar? They're going to feed me? 
as it did say for hopefully. They're going to feed you, said Rooster, to the total perspective vortex. Zayford had never heard of this. He believed that he had heard of all the fun things in the galaxy, so assumed that the total perspective vortex was not fun. He asked what it was. Only, said Rooster, the most savage, psychic, torturous, sentient being can undergo. Zayford nodded a resigned nod. So, he said, no food, huh? Listen, said Rooster urgently, you can kill a man, destroy his body, break his spirit, but only the total perspective vortex can annihilate a man's soul. The treatment lasts seconds, but the effect lasts the rest of your life. You have had a pangalactic gargle blaster, asked Zaphod sharply. This is worse. Phew, wow, admitted Zaphod, much impressed. Any idea why these guys might want to do this to me, he added a moment later. They believe it will be the best way of destroying you forever. They know what you're after. Could they drop me a note and let me know as well? You know, said Rooster, you know, Beeblebrox, you want to meet the man who rules the universe. Can he cook, said Zephod. On reflection, he added, I doubt if he can. If he could cook a meal, he wouldn't worry about the rest of the universe. I want to meet a cook, Rooster sighed heavily. What are you doing here anyway, demanded Zaphod. What's all this got to do with you? I'm just one of those who planned this thing along with Zani Whoop, along with Yoden Franks, along with the great-grandfather, along with you, Beeblebrox. Me? Yes, you. I was told you had changed. I didn't realise how much, but I'm, I'm here to do one job. I will do it before I leave you. What job, man? What are you talking about? I will do it before I leave you. Rooster lapsed into an impenetrable silence. Zephod was terribly glad. Chapter 9 The air around the second planet of the Frog Star system was stale and unwholesome. The dank winds that swept continually over its surface swept over salt flats, dried up marshland, tangled and rotting vegetation, and the crumbling remains of ruined cities. No life moved across its surface. The ground, like that of many planets in this part of the galaxy, had long been deserted. The howl of the wind was desolate enough as it gusted through the old decaying houses of the cities. It was more desolate as it whipped about the bottoms of the tall black towers that swayed uneasily here and there about the surface of this world. At the top of these towers lived colonies of large, scraggy, evil-smelling birds, the sole survivors of the civilization that once lived here. The howl of the wind was at its most desolate, however, when it passed over a pimple of a place set in the middle of a wild, grey plain on the outskirts of the largest of the abandoned cities. The pimple of a place that was the one thing that had earned this world the reputation of being the most totally evil place in the galaxy. From without, it was simply a steel dome about 30 feet across. From within, it was something more monstrous than the mind can comprehend. About a hundred yards or so away, and separated from it by a pockmarked and blasted stretch of the most barren land imaginable, was what would probably have to be described as a landing pad of sorts. That is to say, these scattered over a largish area were the ungainly hunks of two or three dozen crash-landed buildings. Flitting over and around these buildings was a mind. A mind that was waiting for something. 
The mind directed its attention into the air, and before very long a distant speck appeared, surrounded by a ring of smaller specks. The larger speck was the left-hand tower of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy office building, descending through the stratosphere of Frogstar World B. As it descended, Rooster suddenly broke the long, uncomfortable silence that had grown up between the two men. He stood up and gathered his towel into a bag. He said, People, Prox, I will now do the job I was sent here to do. Seyfold looked up at him from where he was sitting in the corner, sharing unspoken thoughts with Marvin. Yeah, he said. The building will shortly be landing. When you leave the building, do not go out of the door, said Rooster. Go out of the window. Good luck, he added, and walked out of the door, disappearing from Zaphod's life as mysteriously as he had entered it. Zaphod leapt up and tried the door, but Rooster had already locked it. He struggled and returned to the corner. Two minutes later, the building crash landed amongst the other wreckage. Its escort, the Frogstar fighters, deactivated their force beams and soared off into the air again, bound for Frogstar World A, an altogether more congenial spot. They never landed on Frogstar World B. No one did. No one ever walked on the surface other than the intended victims of the Total Perspective Vortex. Zaphard was badly shaken by the crash. He lay for a while in the silent, dusty rubble to which most of the room had been reduced. He felt that he was at the lowest ebb he had ever reached in his life. He felt bewildered. He felt lonely. He felt unloved. Eventually, he felt he ought to get on with whatever it was he was going to do. He looked around the cracked and broken room. The wall had split round the door frame and the door hung open. The window, by some miracle, was closed and unbroken. For a while, he hesitated. Then he thought that if his strange and recent companion had been through all that that he'd just been through, just to tell him what he had to do, then there must be a good reason for it. With Marvin's help, he got the window open. Outside it, the cloud of dust aroused by the crash, the hunks of the other buildings with which this one was surrounded, effectively prevented Zaphod from seeing anything of the world outside. Not that this concerned him unduly. His main concern was what he saw when he looked down. Zani Whoop's office was on the 15th floor. The building had landed at a tilt of about 45 degrees, but still the descent looked heart-stopping. Eventually, stung by the continuous series of contemptuous looks that Marvin appeared to be giving him, he took a deep breath and clambered out onto the steeply inclined side of the building. Marvin followed him, and together they began to crawl slowly and painfully down the fifteen floors that separated them from the ground. As he crawled, the dank air and dust choked his lungs. His eyes smarted, and the terrifying distance down made his heads spin. The occasional remark from Marvin of the order of This is the sort of thing you life forms enjoy, isn't it? I merely ask for information. Did little to improve his state of mind. About halfway down the side of the shattered building, they stopped to rest. It seemed to Zaphod, as he lay there panting with fear and exhaustion, that Marvin seemed a mite more cheerful than usual. Eventually he realised this wasn't so. The robot just seemed cheerful in comparison with his own mood. A large, scraggy black bird came flapping through the slowly settling clouds of dust and stretched down its scrawny legs, 
landed on an inclined window ledge a couple of yards from Zaphod and teetered awkwardly on its perch. Its wingspan must have been something like six feet, and its head and neck seemed curiously large for a bird. Its face was flat, the beak underdeveloped, and halfway along the underside of its wings the vestiges of something hand-like could be seen clearly. In fact, it looked almost human. It turned its heavy eyes on Zaphod and clicked its beak in a desultory fashion. Go away, said Zaphod. Okay, muttered the bird morosely and flapped off into the dust again. Zaphod watched its departure with bewilderment. Did that bird just talk to me? he asked Marvin nervously. He was quite prepared to believe the alternative explanation, that he was in fact hallucinating. Yes, confirmed Marvin. Poor souls, said a deep ethereal voice in Zaphod's ear. Twisting round violently to find the source of the voice nearly caused Zaphod to fall off the building. He grabbed savagely at a protruding window fitting and cut his hand on it. He hung on, breathing heavily. The voice had no visible source whatsoever. There was no one there. Nevertheless, it spoke again. A tragic history behind them, you know. A terrible blight. Zaphod looked wildly about. The voice was deep and quiet. In other circumstances, it would even be described as soothing. There is, however, nothing soothing about being addressed by a disembodied voice out of nowhere, particularly if you are, like Zaphod Beeblebrox, not at your best and hanging from a ledge eight stories up a crashed building. Uh, um, uh, he stammered. Shall I tell you their story? inquired the voice quietly. Hey, who are you? panted Zaphod. Where are you? Later then, perhaps, murmured the voice. I am Gagrava. I am the custodian of the total perspective vortex. Why can't I see you? You will find your progress down the building greatly facilitated, the voice lifted, if you move about two yards to your left. Why don't you try it? Zaphod looked and saw a series of short horizontal grooves leading all the way down the side of the building. Gratefully, he shifted himself across to them. Why don't I see you again at the bottom, said the voice in his ear, and as it spoke, it faded. Hey, called out Zaphod, where are you? It's only a couple of minutes, said the voice very faintly. Marvin, said Zaphod earnestly to the robot squatting dejectedly next to him. Did a voice just... Yes, Marvin replied tersely. Zaphod nodded. He took out his peril-sensitive sunglasses again. They were completely black, and by now quite badly scratched by the unexpected metal object in his pocket. He put them on. He would find his way down the building more comfortably if he didn't actually have to look at what he was doing. Minutes later, he clambered over the ripped and mangled foundations of the building, and once more, removing his sunglasses, he dropped to the ground. Marvin joined him a moment or so later, and they faced down on the dust and rubble, from which position he seemed too disinclined to move. Ah, oh, there you are, said the voice suddenly in Zaphod's ear. Excuse me leaving you like that, it's just that I have a terrible head for heights. At least, it added wistfully, I did have a terrible head for heights. 
Zaphod looked around slowly and carefully, just to see if he had missed something that might be the source of the voice. All he saw, however, was the dust, the rubble and the towering hulks of the encircling buildings. Hey, um, why can't I see you? he said. Why aren't you here? I am here, said the voice slowly. My body wanted to come, but it's a bit busy at the moment. Things to do, people to see. After what seemed like a sort of ethereal sigh, it added, You know how it is with bodies. Seyford wasn't sure about this. I thought I did, he said. I only hope it's gone for a rest cure, continued the voice. The way it's been living recently, it must be on its last elbows. Elbows, said Zaphod. Don't you mean legs? The voice said nothing for a while. Zaphod looked round uneasily. He didn't know if it was gone or if it was still there or what it was doing. Then the voice spoke again. So, you are to be put into the vortex, yes? Ah, uh, well, said Zaphod with a very poor attempt at nonchalance. This cat's in no hurry, you know. I, I can just slouch about and take in a look at the local scenery, you know. Have you seen the local scenery? asked the voice of Gargravar. Uh, no. Zaphod clambered over the rubble and rounded the corner of the wrecked buildings that was obscuring his view. He looked out at the landscape of Frogstar World B. Ah, okay, he said. I'll just sort of slouch about then. No, said Gargravar. The vortex is ready for you now. You must come. Follow me. Oh, uh, yeah, said Zaphod. And how am I meant to do that? I'll hum for you, said Gargrava. Follow the humming. A soft kneeling sound drifted through the air, a pale, sad sound that seemed to be without any kind of focus. It was only by listening very carefully that Zaphod was able to detect the direction from which it was coming. Slowly, dazedly, he stumbled off in his wake. What else was there to do? The universe, as has been observed before, is an unsettlingly big place, a fact which, for the sake of a quiet life, most people tend to ignore. Many would happily move to somewhere rather smaller of their own devising, and this is what most beings, in fact, do. For instance, in one corner of the eastern galactic arm lies the large forest planet Oglaroon, an entire intelligent population of which lives permanently in one fairly small and crowded nut tree, in which tree they are born, live, die, fall in love, carve tiny speculative articles in the bark on the meaning of life, the futility of death and the importance of birth control, fight a few extremely minor wars, and eventually die strapped to the underside of some of the less accessible outer branches. In fact, only the Oglerunians who ever leave their tree are those who are hurled out of it for the heinous crime of wondering whether any of the other trees might be capable of supporting life at all, or indeed whether the other trees are anything other than illusions brought about by eating too many Oglernuts. Exotic though this behaviour may seem, there is no life form in the galaxy which is not in some small way guilty of the same thing, which is why the total perspective vortex is as horrific as it is.
For when you're put into the vortex, you're given just one momentary glimpse of the entire unimaginable infinity of creation, and somewhere in it a tiny little marker, a microscopic dot on a microscopic dot, that says, you are here. The grey plain stretched before Zaphod, a ruined shattered plain, the wind whipped wildly over it. Visible in the middle was the steel pimple of the dome. This, gathered Zaphod, was where he was going. This was the total perspective vortex. As he stood and gazed bleakly at it, a sudden inhuman wail of terror emanated from it, as if a man having his soul burnt from his body. It screamed above the wind and died away. Zaphod started with fear, and his blood seemed to turn to liquid helium. Hey, what was that? he muttered voicelessly. A recording, said Gargravar, of the last man who was put into the vortex. It's always played to the next victim, a sort of prelude. Hey, it really sounds bad, stammered Zaphod. Couldn't we uh, maybe slip off to a party or something for a while, think it over? For all I know, said Gargravar's ethereal voice, I'm probably at one. My body, that is. It goes to a lot of parties without me. Says I only get in the way. Hey-ho. What is all this with your body? Said Zaphod, anxious to delay whatever it was that was going to happen to him. Well, it's, uh, it's busy, you know, said Gargravar, hesitantly. You mean he's got a mind of its own, said Zaphod? There was a long and slightly chilly pause before Gargravar spoke again. I have to say, he replied eventually, that I find that remark in rather poor taste. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk. Torty.